We are proud to partner with MyFlex Learning. MyFlex Learning is a scheduling platform that helps middle and high schools meet the individual needs of all students. Students can easily create and manage time for flex blocks, wind time, activity periods, RTI, counselor and teacher appointments, and so much more. Even my favorite, Synergy Time. And with its built-in accountability tool and reporting features, MyFlex Learning solves your challenges around getting kids where they need to be and understanding how flex time is spent. Make flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com slash BE to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's myflexlearning.com slash BE. This B Podcast Network show is presented by IXL. IXL's all-inclusive online teaching and learning platform simplifies edtech needs and accelerates achievement in 95 of the top 100 U.S. school districts. IXL delivers personalized learning across a comprehensive pre-K-12 curriculum, including math, language arts, science, and social studies, and helps you assess student performance through actionable, real-time insights at every level of your school or district. This one solution performs work that typically requires dozens of tools. Want to find out why so many leading districts trust IXL? Visit IXL.com BE. That's IXL.com slash B-E. Welcome to Transformative Principle, where you learn how to be a leader and not just a manager of a to-do list. I'm your host, Jethro Jones. You can find me on Twitter at Jethro Jones. Your to-do list is a hungry monster that is never satisfied. For the last year and a half, I've helped principals get awards, get promoted, and find the time to do the work that really matters. I recently opened a new mastermind slot. Schedule a call with me and let's overcome the stressed and isolated principal position together. Go to the show notes for this episode at transformativeprincipal.org and click schedule a call with Jethro. Welcome to Transformative Principal. This is episode 209 and today I am excited to have Amy Dujan on the program. And she is a practice leader at Learning Sciences International Amy, thank you so much for being part of Transformative Principle. I really appreciate it. Well, thanks for having me on. I'm excited to be here. Well, how about we start by you telling us what a practice leader is and let other people know what Learning Sciences International is who may not know. Oh, perfect. So yeah, practice leader is one of those titles people say, well, what exactly does that mean? Um, But what happened is uh, through a partnership with Learning Sciences International as a, as a principal, I was able to really work through their schools for rigor process and, and really change, transform my campus um, th- through that and change instruction. So they brought me on as a practice leader in that practice area to help lead and coach and guide other principals as they're doing the work in their schools. So now I have the opportunity to work with principals across the country and, and many states and, and help them through these phases and through the struggles of getting to really strong core instruction. And it's, it's such an honor to be able to be in other schools, to work with other types of leaders that, you know, I'm really enjoying it right now and working on also working on creating a leadership tracking system uh, with one of our, one of our partner districts, which is exciting too, um, with the Wallace foundation. So those are just kind of some of my responsibilities. Well, cool. So when you are, Uh, Working with schools uh, across the country, what is your uh, commitment and relationship with them? How much do you visit them? How much are you in their schools and things like that? 
So right now, one of my my main school focuses is a high school that is in Maryland. And so I I meet with that principal and his leadership team every single week, either um, virtually or in person. We do um, training data cycles of training with the teachers. So the teachers have a staff developer that comes and works on building capacity with coaches and teachers. I'm the school leadership coach. So I'm with them once a week. I am there during the training with them. I walk classrooms with them. We conduct 30-day metrics with them to make adjustments to the, the work we're doing there. Um, and then I'm, I'm kind of their lifeline. So I'm available to them 24-7. If something's happening on their school, and they're not really sure you know, how to handle it. They can call me, text me, email me. I'm, I'm at their disposal. And so how many schools are you working with at once? So personally, right now, I'm dedicated to one, but we have multiple projects that I visit. So we have a total of, I believe... 35 that are in actual what we call treatment. So I will touch base with any principals at any time as needed or um, consult with the principal coaches that are working with them or visit and walk to see how the schools are moving and based on need. Okay. So you're, you're reaching out to a lot of different schools and seeing a lot of different things. So I've worked in Title I schools and in uh, struggling schools, and I've worked in a high-performing school and I've been in a lot of different settings, what are the things that stay the same regardless of the school you go to? And what are some of the things that, uh, that are different between schools? Like some, you know, the more things stay the same, the more they're different. There's some quote about that. I can't remember, but, but that idea that there are some things that are consistent across all schools. And there are other things that even though it's different in each school, they're all struggling with the same type of problem. Does that question make sense? It totally makes sense. And so, you know, it's it's interesting when we walk through a schools in, in any district that invites us, we're never fully surprised at something that we see. It's, it's usually comes down to some pretty typical root causes is what, you know, what we're looking for. We're looking for trends across, you know, schools within the district. And so when we walk those, some of the things that we've noticed that are pretty common is that Instruction really hasn't changed much in the last hundred years where the economy, the things that we're requiring kids to do, the standards have shifted significantly. And so, you know, what we find is still a lot of teacher-led, teacher-driven instruction happening in our classrooms where the teacher's kind of the gatekeeper of the learning. They're the ones who are holding on to, here's what kids need to know and do. Only I can determine whether or not they're, they're there or not. And so kids are so reliant on the teacher in the classroom. And then one of the things that we work to do is to flip that to where kids are relying upon each other. They know the learning target. They, they understand the criteria they need to get to that learning target, regardless of the task the teachers plan for them. And so that requires complete pedagogy shift for teachers, but it also requires a new set of leadership skills for principals to be able to give teachers the space and the freedom to kind of try and fail and And so a lot of our research, um, we have an applied research center here in West Palm Beach where we gather data. Like I said, we do those 30-day metrics and we're we're constantly looking for our data to be predictive of how kids are going to perform and and how do we now empower teachers to to get kids to own their learning. We've heard that a lot in education, right? Kids need to own their learning. They need to be responsible, but we've never really taught kids the tools of what that means. How how do I own my learning if I'm not clear what what's expected of me. So one of the trends that we see regardless of title one high performing schools is that, you know, teachers have done the best they can to know these standards, the new standards, but they don't truly 
get to collaborate and dig deep to understand what is it really that I'm looking for from students in their work. And we're very, you know, resource dependent. A lot of times we buy a program, we buy a textbook, you know, we do those things and we say here, you know, use this, do that, say, give them something scripted. And we hope, you know, we like to say learning sciences, hope is not a strategy, but yet we use it quite a bit. You know, we hope that if we get this adaptive technology program that student performance is going to improve, we hope adoption, we're going to finally get the results that we want. And, and typically what happens is that we might see a quick little bump and then we go right back down to where we are. So what we focus on here and what was really transformative to me as a principal is really strengthening the capacity of the people, the capacity of teachers in front of students, really helping them to understand what core instruction should look like and sound like and coaching them through the implementation of that, not just doing that traditional spray and pray where we come to to PD and we we tell you to do all these things and then we leave. We don't, that that's not our philosophy. Our philosophy is that we then look to help to coach you to implement the very next day. And then we come back and we coach again for deeper implementation. We keep coming back and coming back until we get the effects that we're looking for. It it sounds like you're, you're saying you don't want the teachers to be the gatekeepers, but at the same time, you're teaching them how to do effective core instruction, which could easily be interpreted to be that you want them to be the gatekeepers. So can you define that a little bit better and and talk more about what, what that core instruction looks like, especially the idea of having the kids be aware and in charge of their learning? Right. So some of the key ideas that, that we work around is that we, we get teachers to identify target base or, you know, from the, from the standards, target, learning targets for kids, and then success criteria. So that as a student, and I'm not talking about a rubric I'm ta- for an activity, I'm talking about a success criteria that says, if I'm successful, this is what this target looks like and sounds like in my work. And so I can then be evaluate, constantly evaluating whether or not I'm working my way to the standard. And so we teach kids what a learning target is, why it's important, what the success criteria is, and how they use that to drive their own learning. And then we remove the teacher from the front of the classroom. So the the teacher is no longer the one saying, okay, here's what I want to be able to, this is what I'm going to teach today. This is what I want kids to know. And then I'm going to have to wait till I get their assignments in to see whether or not they've done it. Instead, we teach them how to plan meaningful stops along the way in each formative assessment throughout their lesson so that they are then, the kids are then gauging whether or not they're making progress towards that target. Um, one of the ways we do that is through effective teaming. And so that came from research and, and, and feedback that came from, that has come out of like corporate America, right? They're saying that they need kids to come to them that are able to work in team structures, that are able to collaborate a lot around a complex task and problem solve, to be creative, to communicate effectively with one another. And so those are really the premises of what we teach that are in the, and the pedagogy that we empower teachers to, to implement in their classroom, to get kids teaming around, around the target and around tasks so that they can then say, all right, within this team, we all have it. This person doesn't, but we're, we're, we're working with them to, to get them to the target um, because they're empowered with it, with how to do that using the success criteria. Is that clear? A little bit clearer. So we're flipping it from a teacher centered classroom to what we call student centered with rigor. Yeah. And it, it is clear and it makes a lot of sense and it's what good teachers have to do to reach every kid in their classroom. And 
you know, this, this idea of, you know, teaching to the middle or hoping that everybody gets it and waiting to get the information back from assignments is just really not a good idea and doesn't help, help kids get to where they need to be. And especially in areas where kids are behind, like you really got to step it up so that they can, they can be successful. You talked a little bit about uh, having to help develop new leadership skills for principals. And so what do those skills look like that principals have to be able to have to coach their teachers in the way that you're suggesting? So one of the things that, I mean, that we call this second order change, you know, first order change is we, we adopt a new textbook, we bring in a new program, you know, those are things that are scripted, they're, they're just here, try this, do that, but this is real deep second order change. And so I like, Dr. Marzano refers to it as, and, and he's not the only one, but rewriting your script of teaching and learning, going back and saying, okay, if I were, and I, I've done this, I've asked kids all over different ages, like, tell me what a typical class or lesson sounds like to you. And and the same things come across regardless of the school, regardless of the area. It's there's some kind of warm up. Then the teacher teaches, we take notes. And then there's, there's an assignment like that's, that is their script for teaching and learning. And so what we're trying to do is rewrite that script, that traditional script of, of instruction. And, And in doing so, we, we begin to remove the teacher to become a skilled facilitator and kids are beginning to, to say, to ask questions and do that. So can you go back to the question of where we are? You're fine. You're doing great. So, (laughs) so the, the question is what leadership skills do principals need to have? And you're talking about rewriting the script of a teacher and how do we do that? Right. So when we do that, it gets muddy. It gets, it's hard. It's hard work for teachers to to change and edit that script. And so some of the skills we have to teach principals to do are things like selective abandonment. We have to remove things off of teachers' plates to give them permission to focus on this work, to, to actually have time to revise and edit and rewrite that script. So, you know, oftentimes I say to principals, you know, you're, what can we take off of their plate? Let's let's look at all the initiatives you're trying to do. And if core instruction is our, our number one priority, what can we selectively remove from them right now to give them the space and freedom to really do this? And so we talk about selective abandonment. We talk about protecting them from initiative fatigue. I talk about the art of the gentle demand. So one of the things that Michael Fullen talks about is the push, pull, and nudge, right, of change. And so that the art of that gentle to man to be able to say, okay, I hear, I hear you're struggling, but we're still moving forward. So how can I help you to, to keep going? Providing teachers time, time is like gold to teachers. And so if we're telling them, and we do in this type of work, that the bulk of their work, the heavy lift for teachers is in planning. It is all about planning meaningful planning that is then executed and, and played out in the classroom. And so we can't walk in the morning of and pull up on the, you know, the district website and say, oh, what am I teaching today? That kind of work isn't going to get us where we want. So we want to give teachers time. We also want to give them time to try new things and, and not hold them accountable just yet, right? We have to give them permission to try and fail and to support them in that failure. So there's a lot of things that principals have to do that sometimes feel like they go innately against what we know about being a principal or being a leader, that we're the leader and they're the teacher and we should know everything. The biggest part of that is becoming a learner yourself. 
that the principal has to remember what it's like to be a learner, to get in the trenches with the teachers and side by side be learning this new pedagogy with them so that they can give more effective feedback so that they can you know, support them in, in, in that push and pull to say, okay, could, could you try this? Could, could we work on, on putting this into your classroom? And so it really re- requires the, the principal to also selectively abandon some things. Like you don't have to be in cafeteria duty for two hours every day. You know, there's other people that can do that. You need to be in classrooms. You need to be supporting your teachers as they're struggling through this and they're trying to see, you know, what works and what doesn't work. And so those are some of those big leadership practices that we focus on with, with principals. Yeah. So I have about a million more questions just from those. So, so that's good. I, I love the idea of selective abandonment and it's something that, so in my district right now, we're working a lot on personalizing learning as the word that we're using for what you're talking about basically. And it's, it's amazing to hear everything that you're saying totally line up with what our district is asking us to do, what I'm asking my teachers to do. And I was just in a classroom yesterday of this teacher who you pretty much described, who wants to like be the fount of all knowledge and share what he's really passionate about with his students, which is wonderful. And he's got all the baseline skills to just tweak a little bit and then go so much more, I think, impactful uh, towards kids in in his lessons. And, and it's just fascinating to me how it's such a big shift mentally, but good teachers are already, they already have the baseline to, to start implementing it and be successful. And he created this, this great lesson that had something that was fluff, but important to build up to a story, something that was reflective to help the kids think about the essay they've written. And then something that was really like old school teacher stuff. And in my notes to him, I said, boring teacher, boring schoolwork is is basically what it was. And those things were all in place. And what was missing was really the kids knowing for what purpose they were doing the activities. And I'm seeing that as my biggest challenge right now is helping teachers explicitly state, why are we doing this? And I was in a math classroom the other day and the kid, the, a kid was like, why, why do we need to know this? And the teacher did not have a good answer. And I wanted <laughs> to like jump up and say, oh, you don't actually need this because you will never use this again in your life. But, sure. but you need to do it so that you understand the concept one, so that you can prepare for something else, and two, so that you can be successful in this class because that's what the standard is. And, you know, okay, so to my question, finally, <laughs> when we are doing that selective abandonment and we are protecting them from initiative overload, how do we as principals make those decisions? Because it seems like everything is important. So I think my question is going to take you back even further before to finding what it is that you really want to focus on but how do how do we figure that out when you know the my audience here is principals who are in their schools not necessarily the district vision may not be what we're talking about so so how do you figure that out for your school and then have the courage to tell the district we're not going to do that or i'm going to protect my teachers from this how how does that work so it's interesting. I actually had to do that during in our schools for rigor um, initiatives. So at that time, my district had determined that we were going to shift um, 
we no longer had like a, a basal reader. We went to more of a reader's workshop approach, which I 100% support and agree, agree with. But core instruction, strengthening core instruction and building the capacity of my people at the time was more important than just focusing on the routines of reader's workshop for me at that time. So, so one of the things that I did as my teachers were coming to, so I, I'm actually writing a book about this right now, but one of the things that, that you begin to notice is you're going to see that as teachers construct and deconstruct and, and they're rewriting that script, that then they get into this like muddy phase. And as they get into the mud, you're going to hear them. Um, I, I refer to the Heath brothers, right? In the battle of the two minds and switch. And so that the two minds are saying, okay, it's just easier to go back to doing things the way I could, I, I should, but I want to keep going because I'm seeing changes in my students. Right. And so one of the things that I did is I, I sat down with them and they came to me with this long list of things that I needed to fix for them. I mean, you should see this list. It was unbelievable. Everything on the kitchen sink was, you know, we're having to do this. We have to do this. Uh, you know, the district is expecting this. And then we've got this PD and that PD. And so I sat down and I said, okay, listen, I, as the leader, I'm going to sit down and take responsibility for everything on that list that I can. And so I asked myself some really pivotal questions. And the one that keeps sticking with me that sticks to me to this day is, are we successful because of our instruction or in spite of it? So are our kids doing well because of the solid core instruction in all content area? Or is it in spite of it because our kids are coming to us with supportive parents? They're coming to us with, you know, educated parents that at home innately are reading to them, are going to make sure their homework's done, you know, which isn't the case in every school I've worked in. But I had to, I had to decide as a leader what was more important, building the capacity of my people to deliver and provide quality core instruction experiences or focusing on, on the reading initiative, which was important to the district. And so I came to the point, I called up the district support and I said, here's the thing. I'm going to give you permission to focus on other schools right now. For right now, I'm giving you permission to support your other schools. I need, I can't have my teachers hearing mixed messages. I need them to be grounded in this learning. And I guarantee you that this learning is going to impact my reading scores. I know it is. I'm already seeing the, the student evidence of, of that happening in my classroom. And once we have this down, we will then create the crosswalk and marry what you're doing to what they're, what they're learning. And so it was, it was a bold move. You know, they, they could have been like, nope, you're not doing that. And, and I would have crossed that. But I had such, such a case for what was happening that they could come and walk my classrooms and be like, whoa there is something different happening here in these classrooms. And so that became so important to me that I, I, I did, I had to kind of, you know, take one for the team and say, I'm not doing it. And, you know, give me a chance. The only thing you can do. And I said it to my boss, I said, if you will give me the chance and let me prove it, then if it doesn't work, I'll go back to doing what you want me to do. I will follow in line. My teachers will still use the units that are coming out. They will still stick to the scope and sequence, but we're going to do it aligned to, to what we're doing in, in strengthening core instruction. And so when I did that, you know, the teachers were able to take a breath. They're like, okay, we, that's one thing off our plate. And then it was silly things like the science fair, you know, like, can we move the science fair? It's too, too much right now. Okay, fine. You know, no big deal. I'll move the science fair, you know, taking other things off their plate. You, I had also become a, a, a medical magnet in elementary, which was like the first one ever that we could find. And so I was asking them to put con that content into their instruction. And they're like, we, we can't do all of this. So I said, fine. I got my fine art teachers. I said, you guys are going to do this. And the other teachers are focusing on, on the other. And so, you know, you just look for ways 
to relieve that that you know I, I it's like a pressure cooker right you got to re- let the steam out so that it can continue to to function and so um, that's what we talk about when we talk about selective abandonment is what is out there that really isn't going to strengthen core instruction and if it's not getting to that then it it might be okay to say yes but later you know. I agree with that, but first this, because if this is missing, if core instruction is not where it needs to be, if it's not standards-driven core instruction, then it doesn't matter what else I do. I'm still never going to get the results that I need. Exactly. And that that ending piece is so powerful. So I imagine that other principals out there are feeling a little bit of anxiety about telling their boss, no, I'm not going to do this because that's a scary thing, especially as educators, we're typically people pleasers and want to do everything right. That's why we take on all this additional stuff. But that idea is so important. And so the way that that I phrase that in my principal experience is that I define how the district vision fits in with my vision and what kinds of things I'm going to really push and emphasize and what kinds of things I'm just not going to emphasize. And so, you know, one easy one is that the discipline philosophy in almost every district is suspend first, ask questions later. And so, you know, my whole career, I've taken a restorative approach, trauma-informed approach to, to make sure that inside of that system, I'm still asking the right questions. And so you have to be able to do that as a principal. And that can be scary, especially if your boss says, what? No, you're not going to do your own thing. You're going to do this thing. But if you're in a position where you're really talking about the important things, then you're in a very defensible position. And most districts, I assume, would be like, oh, so you really want to focus on core instruction and making sure that the kids are learning exactly what they're supposed to? No, you have to do this other silly program over here. Yeah, kind of hard to argue core yeah. instruction, <laughs> core instruction, building the capacity of your people. You know, and some of the times, you know, what you find is like with the district, it's not that the district's asking you to do things that aren't effective, but being able to help teachers see and you as a leader see the, you know, it's not that there's one more thing on your plate, but your plate is core instruction, quality core instruction. And then all these other things fit on there to support it. So I can't begin to ask people to do things to support core instruction if the core instruction is where I need to focus. Yeah, that is a great way to explain that and, and just so important. So one of the skills is being able to uh, abandon things. And then let's talk a little bit about coaching and how coaching changes in in your model because observations become much more than just going into the classroom and you know leaving an evaluation. So what does coaching look like in in your life? So as a principal going in to support my teachers, you know, one of the things that happened as a result of all this is I shifted so much off of my plate that I realized really wasn't important, that I had plenty of capable adults that could handle, you know, some of those things so that I could free myself up to be with teachers that I was in their common planning all the time. So I knew exactly what was happening in every class every day. Um, not because I was trying to micromanage it, but, but I was trying to deepen my understanding of the standards so that was I was in the classroom and I was see, looking at the student evidence, I was able to ask more meaningful coaching questions. So that was a huge shift for me. I was no longer going in the classroom and looking at what the teacher was doing. I'm 100% focused on kids now. What are the students doing and producing and do they know why they're doing it? 
do they understand that the task in front of them is connected to that learning target that's up there and that this task is supposed to be helping them to achieve that learning target. So, you know, what happened was I would go into classrooms and so my feedback and my coaching would be around. So I noticed that the student evidence showed this. And so I'm wondering, you know, and I, I would do noticings and wonderings at first until I didn't have to use that specific, you know, specific language. But we actually, I actually worked up to where I was doing in the moment coaching with teachers. They would turn students loose on a task. So now, you know, the teacher's not in charge. They've turned it over to a student center classroom. They've got the students working in teams on a task. We're both examining the student evidence, seeing what's happening. And I can walk over and say, hey, what are you noticing in, in the student evidence? And teachers literally turning, you know, I, I remember being in one classroom of a fifth grade teacher. She was doing a science lesson and she had the kids writing on, on their whiteboards and she was monitoring, you know, their content. And she literally looked at me and, and like with her eyes got so big, like a deer in a headlight. And I said, what are you noticing? And she said, they're, they're not giving me what I need. And I said, okay, well, let's dig deep into that. So what are they telling you? And so she's telling me what she's seeing in the student evidence. I said, so what, what is it that you actually wanted them to give you? And then she told me, and I said, all right, so let's think about the question you asked. What did you ask them? And just like that, without me telling her what to do or how to do it, she's like, I asked the wrong question. That was a bad question. And so she put her hands up and she said, all right, guys, I asked a really bad question. I realized that by looking at your student evidence, I want you to erase your whiteboards. Let's try again. She asked a new question. She turned them loose. She walked around and her face lit up and she just looked over at me and gave me two thumbs up. And so in that moment, she's learning that her intentional questions are important and she's got to ask herself, what exactly is it that I need from kids? So what am I going to ask to get that from them? And so our reflective conversation after that was like, you know, I, I just, I, I have to get better at planning my questions to, to elicit from the kids what I really need. And, um, and so we would, we were doing that in the moment in any class I could walk in and they would, or they would come up and say, oh, you got to come see this group. Look at what they're doing. How do I get the other groups to do this? And I would say, all right, well, let's see what they're doing. And this is in the moment. And I, I, it's funny because my, I had a new assistant principal the second year of this. And I, and I did some, what we called whisper coaching in the moment. And she, we walked out of the class and she was like, oh my gosh, the union's going to be calling here. Like, what, what were you doing? You were talking to a teacher in instruction. And I said, oh yeah, but that's just how we do business. We're constantly yeah. reflecting and pushing each other and, and looking for, you know, we're resources for one another. We're not we're not out to get there. I'm not out to get them. I'm not marking them on this. I'm helping them because ultimately our goal is to get kids to that standard. And it blew her away because she had never experienced that in any school she had been in. And so, you know, coaching her and teaching her those new leadership skills. Of, so here's what we do when we're in classrooms. We look at the student evidence and we help the teacher to get to that, to the desired outcomes. Um, that's our job. That's my job is to help the teacher see what the student, you know, what they might not be seeing in the student evidence and to support them to you to to get the adaptations in place. Yeah, that's that's a powerful story. My favorite is when people are worried about the union and I'm like, yeah, I, I love them. Bring them in. Let's talk. It's yeah. great. <laughs> you really don't want us to do this? Okay. We can we can talk through that, but nobody ever wants that. So one of the things that you mentioned was shifting a lot of things off of your plate. And um people can go to transformativeprinciple.org slash ideal week where I help walk through a process to define what your ideal week looks like. And a big step part of that is is delegating, getting things off of your plate. And so I want to talk to you more about that because principal's plates are so high and so full and it's just ridiculous. And many of the principals that I talk to regularly are working at least 10 to 12 hours each day and even yeah. more in high school. And it's just 
there's so much that is expected of principles that we just we need to get things off of our plate. So can you talk a little bit about shifting things off your plate and how you decide what to shift off and what you can get away with shifting off of your plate? Right. That was really hard for me at first to think about, okay, well, no, I have to talk to parents when, when they call like, like that, you can't take that off my plate and I need to be, you know, on duty in the afternoon, you know, they have to see me and I have to do this and I have to do that. And so what I began to realize is that as I was in classrooms and as the, the level of instruction was increasing, discipline incidences were, were decreasing. So that some things naturally shifted off of my plate because the cognitive engagement of the students in the classroom was so high that it was re- naturally, we just, we weren't having as having to have as many, you know, meetings around, you know, tier two, tier three interventions. We weren't having to have as many discipline interventions because it was just naturally beginning to, kids didn't want to be out of class. They wanted to be involved in conversations with their peers and supporting each other. And they felt like if I get, if I come out, I'm going to miss something. And they didn't want that. But some of the things that I began to, to really evaluate is why am I the first stop for parents? right? It's important for principals to talk to parents. So don't, I don't want anybody to hear this and say, oh, she said the principal shouldn't deal with parents. That's not it. Principals, parents are always going to want to hear from the principal. But I I, I started thinking about how I could be more proactive about what was happening in classrooms and and communicating with, with parents more frequently so that there was less for them to interpret when kids came home. You know, like, oh, this happened and then this was the result of it. Well, if I can clearly communicate what our process for, you know, um, PBIS is, if they clearly understand, you know, what different offenses look like, then it kind of removes that, um, that off of, of my plate. But I also empowered people like my school secretary started screening the calls and saying, okay, this is, this is an Amy issue. Nope. This is something that the guidance counselor can handle. Oh, this is something that needs to go back to the teacher. And so, you know, frequently I would say to them, you need to go to the teacher first and try to work it out. And if not, then you come to me. If it's something that is just innately a, 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 an issue with the teacher, then we'll schedule time. But I created blocks of time that did not pull me out of instruction. And so the, the appointments had to fit in that time unless it was an emergency. You know, there's always emergencies. But I said, so this is when I'm available. I get here really super early in the morning. You want to come in super early in the morning and talk to me? Um, I'll be here. If you want to come after school, I'll be here. But my day is in classrooms. My day is interacting with kids and in instruction. And, and I told them, you're not allowed to pull me out. At first, before I created those blocks, one of the things I had to do is just block out time and say, I'm in classrooms at this time, during this time. Don't disturb me. It's like I'm not on campus. So I'm in classrooms. I didn't even, I didn't take my cell phone with me. I didn't take my radio with me. You know, they could come find me if they actually need me, buzz into the room if it was an emergency. But I'm, I'm not here. I am in classrooms. And so I started that way and then began to say, okay, well, well, that system kind of works. But maybe if I created a system of when they could talk to me, it would be even more effective. And so, you know, I, I looked at the way that we, we dealt with parent issues. You know, my guidance counselor was phenomenal. She was really good at, at listening and hearing and mediating and really getting to the root cause. Because most of the time, parents just want to be heard. So if you have somebody who's a really good listener, let them listen. Let them right. use that skill. Empower them to take that and just be a listener and pull out what really is happening for you so that it shortens the amount of time that you have to deal. 
uh, I looked at things like school events and I, I, I said, okay, who, who can start taking on some of that stuff? So it's not taking up my day district initiatives, things that, you know, like paperwork or things that were substitute teachers, all those kinds of things. I said, all right, my secretary is more than capable of dealing with all the stuff. Substitute teachers, they don't need to come see me every day. They can go to her. If there's an issue, she'll come to me. And Lord knows I'm going to be in their, their classroom. So they're going to see me at some point today. So we'll be, we'll be okay. And so I, I started to empower the, the, my support staff to use their gifts because they all have them. They all have the ability to take something, some of that minutia off your plate. And to be honest, if it was something that I, absolutely I had to do, then I chunk time out of my schedule. I would just make myself an appointment with myself to say, you know what, you, you've got to do this survey for the, for the district but I'm going to give myself this chunk of time and that's it. And so, you, you know, it's really about making appointments and, and chunking your day. And as I said, like I encourage principals to work their way up to 75% of their day should be spent in, in their classrooms. And if it's not, then you have to slowly begin to manipulate your schedule and look at what you're spending your time on. If you're in your office all the time, that that's not good. If you, if your teachers can always find you because you're in your office then, then you need to start taking some things off your plate. And that's one of the things that I, you know, first start with, with if students can always find you because you're in your office, then that's not good. You will build relationships with students in classrooms. And when they see you, they'll be able to engage with you there. They don't need to come up to your office to have that kind of interaction with you. So, you know, we started, I started just doing those things and being really in, purposeful with my time, really, in, in, you know, saying, and very mindful of, what was taking my time. So, you know, those are little things that I work on with principals to say, especially like when it comes to like duties and, and standing out on post. Yes, it's important to be visible. But if I'm in classrooms every day, kids are going home and saying, oh, Miss Duchamp was in my classroom today when we were doing this. They're telling their parents because the parents are saying to me, oh, I heard you were in their class while they were doing this. So they get excited to see you just as much in the classroom as they do standing out at the curb at car pickup. And I would argue even more excited because you're where things actually matter. And, you know, that aspect of behavior incidences decreasing because you're in classrooms and you know what's going on and you know the challenges, you know, that all that stuff is, is so true. And if you're not in the classrooms participating in that, then you're really missing out. And, you know, it, It's so cool to hear you say all those things because those are the things that I've been talking about for years and just excited to hear someone else. We didn't plan that to people who are listening. (laughs) She just said those things of her own choice. So, so I think that's really better than having academic conversations with kids than sitting down and ask them what they're learning about. And they light up about their learning and they want to explain to you what they're learning, why they're learning it. You know, they're using academic vocabulary and you're talking... That is so exciting. It's way more exciting than just seeing them in the hallway, you know, or seeing them in the cafeteria. To engage in conversations with kids about content, to see them light up, that is your day. That's what, ultimately, that's what we're about. Yeah, and and most of us can probably say one of the reasons that we went into education was to see those light bulb moments so that kids can um, share their learning and to be part of that every single day really makes a big impact and it's it's awesome. One of the things that I've done is that if a, the district is asking for some sort of report, I typically don't do that until I've been asked for it more than once. And I <laughs> I went through in one district, everybody was stressing about this thing that needed to be done. And I 
I never turned it in. Nobody asked me for it more than one time. And all the other principals were like, we got to get this thing done. And they were like spending all this time on it. And I was like, well, who's actually going to read it? And who, who cares whether or not we turn it in? Well, we have to, we've done it for 20 years. We have to turn it in. And I was like, okay, well, I'm new here. So I'm going to take that excuse. And, and I didn't ever turn it in and nobody came calling for it. And the next year when it was needed to be done again, nobody even asked for it. And the principals were still stressed about it. And I was like, I never turned that in. I don't think it's actually needed to be done. And they're like, really? That, but we've always done it. <laughs> right. And I, you know, one of the things that I incorporated um, pretty quick was I changed my leadership team. Like I brought in those people that could take tasks off of mine. I met with them every Friday morning and it was just leadership. And, and we would sit down and I'd say, okay, here's the things that, that are due for me this week. And some of them would say, oh, I can take that off your plate. Let me do that. Let me get that together for you. And then you look it over, you edit it, you do whatever you need to, to it. You know, I'll take that off your plate. My secretary, oh, your secretary principals, you need to just love up on them because they can set appointments for you and say, here's your due date. I set you said she would chunk time for me. If she knew something was coming up, she'd like, I think it's going to take us about half an hour to do this. So I already set us appointment to do that because that way I can turn it in for you. You know, so getting people who have your back that are looking for those kinds of things. And yeah, a lot of times we're at, as principals, we're asked to do things that we don't even understand the purpose behind. Like what is actually the intent of us doing this report we've done for 20 years? You know, is it really, is it really making an impact? Is it, is it making a difference in, in, in getting us towards those strategic goals that we have as a district? And if not, again, sometimes our district leadership needs to start practicing some selective abandonment and saying, if this isn't getting us to our strategic goals, what is it that, what can we do to, to, to be more, more mindful and more meaningful behind what we're asking principals to do? Yeah, absolutely. And that idea of your strategic goals aligning with what you're actually doing is so powerful. And if it's your strategic goal, and you're doing something that doesn't fit in with that, then why are you wasting any time on that? It's just ridiculous. Amy, I, I want to wrap up here. This has been awesome. And I think we could probably keep going for a couple more hours. So Love it. <laughs> um, what is one thing that a principal can do this week to be a transformative principal like you? I think the one thing that I would encourage principals to do is to become the lead learner on their campus, to roll up their sleeves and commit to learning and to engaging in, in, in learning something new alongside their, their people, to, to get in the trenches with them side by side, to support them rather than, than feeling like you're on the outside looking to, to tell them what to do or to, to get them, you know, or to come in and catch them not doing exactly what we want. Being the lead learner is the most transformative thing you can do for your school, is, is it reigniting that love of learning within yourself. Um, because it will become contagious for your teachers and your students. Yeah. And I usually don't add to that, but just to add to that, what you'll see is that when you're excited about something and then you actually have meaningful things to share with your staff, then they get excited and they start finding things that they're excited about. I had one teacher the other day say, Mr. Jones, how did you get me to work so hard this year? And I'm like, yes, that's what we're talking about. That's awesome. That that makes everything worth it. So Amy, how do people connect with you, learn more from you and work with you or anything like that? So there, they can always go to our website, which is learningsciences.com. Um, I'm on Twitter. So I love to have followers on Twitter at, at Amy Dujon. Um, and, and you can message me on their email. We can connect and um, get you involved in, in this type of work. So, you know, it's, it's very meaningful work. It's worthwhile work. And, you know, I'm, I'm very passionate about it, as you can tell. So. <laughs> 
we invite you to, to, to come on board and, and check out our website and what we have to offer. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. This has been a great interview, Amy. Thank you. It's been great. Have a wonderful day. Well, that was a really great interview. I am very inspired by what she was talking about. And if you haven't yet, I'd really encourage you to go through the ideal week uh, training that I have. It's totally free and it's really great. So transformativeprinciple.org slash ideal week. And that idea of getting into classroom 75% of the day, that's a challenging idea for most principals. And if you're already doing that, you need to contact me so I can talk to you and, and share your story with others because it's it's a powerful thing for teachers to know that you're in their classrooms that much. And so really uh, just a powerful thing. So make sure that you uh, go to transformativeprinciple.org slash ideal week. I'll make sure I put a link to that in the show notes for this episode as well. Thank you so much for listening to Transformative Principle. I just love uh, talking to people and learning. And if you've got an idea of somebody that I should interview who's doing amazing things in your area, feel free to reach out to me on Twitter at Jethro Jones. Thank you so much. Transformative Principle is a proud member of the Education Podcast Network. Podcasts for educators by educators. Visit edupodcastnetwork.com for more great podcasts. Do you want to simplify your school's technology, save teachers time, improve students' performance on state assessments? You can do it all, but don't waste another minute. Head straight to IXL.com BE to learn how IXL's research-proven teaching and learning platform can help you achieve all these goals. That's IXL.com BE. There are lots of solutions out there for giving students what they need when they need it. But when do they actually do all of those things? You need flexible time. When added into your master schedule, flex time enables students to get extra help or intervention, meet with teachers, make up work, get physical exercise, and try new enrichment offerings. If you're thinking of giving it a try, check out MyFlex Learning, which unlocks the benefits of flexible time without all the headaches you get with it usually. Its intuitive design and SIS integration makes implementation and training a breeze. Make your flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com slash BE to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's myflexlearning.com slash BE.